with you this morning, and we're thankful for each one of you. And it is a, a blessing that we give thanks to the Lord for his work in your life and that we're able to gather together. Uh, this has been a brutal week, hasn't it? And in the history of our nation and our churches, it's a week that calls for grieving and fasting and mourning. And it's a week where the only words that could be used to describe what's happened this week in the news. And it's interesting that now it's a word that's being used not just by... I'm quasi-unofficially uh, technologically possessed here. And I apologize to you. But it's this word evil. That's the word that is being used now. And even by one sportscaster, and I applaud him for using it, the word demonic. And I am referring, of course, not only to the mass shootings that took place at the elementary school in South Texas this week, but I'm also making reference to the independent report that was released on May 22nd that revealed how for almost two decades reports of abuse in the largest Protestant denomination in America, the Southern Baptist Convention. And this includes reports of abuse of minors by church staff. How these reports were repeatedly disbelieved and ignored by members of the Southern Baptist Convention Executive Committee, who showed themselves by apparently many witnesses to be singularly focused on avoiding liability for the Southern Baptist Convention rather than protecting and caring for those who could not protect and care for themselves. And as we think about this, and I know the shooting has probably in many ways overshadowed that initial news report that came out about the Southern Baptist Convention, and we may think, okay, well, what do these two things have to do with one another? They may seem unrelated, but I'm going to propose to you this morning that together these two testimonies point to the undeniable reality of evil, not only in America today, but also in our evangelical churches in America. And together they testify to the inability and unwillingness of our leaders, both political and religious, and that includes pastors. Inability and unwillingness to protect the least among us from the undeniable evil of this world. And together they testify to our desperate, desperate need for a light that is greater than the darkness that resides not only in our nation, but in our churches. And together they testify to our desperate need as Americans and Christians to repent and to turn to Christ as our only hope of salvation and deliverance from the evil of this world and, quite frankly, the evil that is in our hearts. And I had originally planned, as Danny said, to preach in the Sermon on the Mount. And nonetheless, Danny, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, your choice of praise songs you will see is very appropriate for this morning, but I believed and felt burdened for our need this morning is to hear from God's Word what God has to say about what we've witnessed this week in our nation and in our churches. And in order to do that, we're going to go this morning to Deuteronomy. And we began with Terrence reading from Deuteronomy Deuteronomy, but we'll go to Deuteronomy 30 this morning. And it is a compliment anyways as we get ready to go to the Sermon on the Mount because it is very much about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. What is it that burdens God's heart? What is it that upsets and offends him? What is his provision and the only provision to deliver us from the evil of this world? And these words in Deuteronomy are the words that Moses gave to the Israelites on the plains of Moab. 
some 3,400 years ago, prior to their entrance into the promised land. And though these words were given to a different people in a different time and a different place, God's message to us through these words and the covenant that he gives in Deuteronomy, because Deuteronomy is essentially God's giving of his covenant to that second generation of Israelites before they enter into the promised land. His message for us remains the same. And his message, if I can have my first slide, and this is our big truth for this morning, is that only God and only the good news of his kingdom can deliver us from the evil of this world. Only God and the good news of his kingdom can deliver us from the evil of this world. As we see the police reports, as we read the independent report about the Southern Baptist Convention, as we go through these things, our hearts cannot help but be horrified and aghast and offended and heartbroken. But I would put forth to you that God is still sovereign and in control, and he has a reason, as Ted prayed this morning. And these things call out and cry out for a kingdom that is ruled by his word and that is ruled by a good king, not fallen pastors who are more interested in preserving their own pulpit rather than taking care of the least among us. A kingdom that reflects not our best interests or what we want or need or aspire to, but instead reflects the goodness and glory of the heart of a holy God. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Deuteronomy 30, 15. 30, 15. And this passage is essentially a summary of the covenant that uh, Moses has just put before the Israelites, before they go into the promised land. Deuteronomy 30, 15. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. This is the word of the Lord. Well, what does this 3,400-year-old summary of an ancient covenant have to do with mass shootings and child abuse in evangelical churches. Well, for starters, it affirms and it identifies what much of America has been denying for a long time. And what we've continued to try to deny until it was too late. And it affirms and identifies the reality and the nearness of death and evil. These things are not far away. They are present in our world. We live in a world that is filled with evil. And it is an evil that begins in the hearts of men. And at the moment, we turn away from the only good in this world and in this universe, which is God. He is the only good. And the moment we turn away, we turn away from his goodness. And that, brothers and sisters, is the beginning of evil. But this passage also does what our 
politicians and religious leaders have been unwilling and unable to do. It points us to the only remedy for evil, and that remedy is the Lord. It points us to turn to the Lord as God and King. It calls us to turn to the Lord as God and King. And this is where the Lord's covenant begins. As you go and read through Deuteronomy, God's covenant and the good news of his covenant, it begins with the Lord as God and King. It begins with him. It is a gospel. The gospel is the good news, not of what we're able to do to take care of one another. The gospel is the good news of what God has done to save sinners through the life and through the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it's good news because there's one who can help us and do what we cannot do for ourselves. And this is highlighted this week as we read the reports of policemen standing around for over an hour allegedly while these things happen, right? And leaders in the church denying and saying it's no big deal or there's nothing we can do about it. Well, praise God, the good news of the covenant is there is a God who is to be worshipped as God and King. And he is able to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And that begins with addressing evil for what it is. And that brings us to our first point for this morning. Addressing evil according to God's word begins with turning to the Lord as God and King. Addressing evil, according to God's word, begins with turning to the Lord as God and King. God is the only good. The Lord is the only good. We cannot understand or appreciate or address evil until we look to Him. When we measure it by our standards, it's no big deal, it's no big deal, it's no big deal. Put an armed guard in front, give our teachers guns, come up with gun laws... And by the time we get around to dealing with it, it's too late. Well, in Scripture, beginning in Genesis, the word God, Elohim in Hebrew, refers to the eternal, holy creator who is infinitely good, and he is the standard of good. And he is infinitely greater than his creation. And he alone is worthy of worship. And it's worth noting from the beginning This God of Scripture reveals himself as a king. As you read through Genesis 1, the language is all royal language. Dominion, authority, speaking, ruling, multiplying, have dominion, take charge. All of those, the language of Genesis 1 and 2, God is revealing himself as a king whose word has authority and power to do all that is good. He reveals himself as the one who possesses the power and the authority and the right to rule over his creation. That's what a king is, the one who has the power and the authority and the right to rule over a kingdom, his realm. And in Genesis, God's word begins with God as the holy creator, king of all creation, who in love creates the first man and woman in his likeness and in his image. And this is as a whole, and this is the foundation as we come to Deuteronomy, because Genesis through Deuteronomy, it's the Torah. They're referred to as the five books of Moses. Deuteronomy is the final chapter. Genesis is the beginning. They are one and they are a whole because they're a testimony of God's work of salvation and deliverance of evil of his people out of the evil of their hearts and the evil of this world. And so going back to the beginning, and we've been through this before, God, who is the creator king, creates the first man and woman in his image and in his likeness. And he creates them, Adam and Eve, to be servant kings. He creates them, when we say servant kings, he creates them to rule, but they are to rule by representing God by presenting his image, by reflecting his glory and his goodness, by walking in his ways. And how were they to do this exactly? Well, they were to do this according to God's word. 
But in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve allow evil to enter into their hearts and into their marriage and into creation. And we're going to define this morning evil in a very broad sense. Now, as you go, you have to interpret it contextually. But in its broadest sense, we're referring to evil as anything that separates us from the life and love of God. Anything that separates us from the life and love of God. Because God is the source of all goodness. He is the fountain of living waters. And the foolishness and the irony is that somehow we can be good apart from God. Well, how do Adam and Eve allow evil? What separates them from the life and love of God? How do they allow that to come in to their marriage and into their hearts and into their kingdom that they've been given to rule? Well, they choose to reject God as their Lord and King. They choose to reject God as their Lord and King. And instead, they decide to be the runners of their own show. They're in charge. They believe in themselves, if you want to go that way. And instead, they pursue their own kingdom. And they do so by disobeying God's word. Their desire is to be a king and queen of a kingdom that is separate from God's word, where they can do whatever they want. Now, that may seem like a long time ago, but it is not that different, brothers and sisters, than much of what we are living out today. And what is sold to us on our social media and our entertainment and about every aspect of our lives, including our jobs and careers. That you can have a kingdom and that you can rule, believe in yourself, do what's right in your own eyes, and have your own kingdom. And you can be, right? Like Bill Gates. You can be like whoever else you want. And you can own Twitter. And you can own all of these different things. You can have a kingdom of your own. But as we come to God's word, and you have a look at verse 17 of Deuteronomy 30, where he says, But if your heart turns away, and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. And in the center of this passage, God shows us where evil begins and what the heart of evil is. It begins in the heart of man. It's when we turn away from the word of the Lord. We do not honor him as our Lord and King. And it goes step by step. Well, we don't listen to him or hear him as Lord and King. He's just one of many voices in our lives or what we listen to on Sunday. And Moses points out what it is that's driving this. You're drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. And who are the other gods who we love to serve? Well, chief among them, it's ourselves, right? And we have different ways to look at that. And in this way, Moses is reminding them, evil, brothers and sisters, begins in a heart that turns away from the love and life of God. And the first symptom of that is a hardness of hearing or a selectiveness of hearing where we hear the parts of God's word that work well for us and we ignore the other things. And over time, what we see and what gets manifested are all the different gods that lead our lives. Brothers and sisters, the Southern Baptist Executive Committee, the shooter this week, the police who watched and waited, who were they listening to? Who were they worshiping? And who were they serving? Well, like us frequently, because let's not point the fingers without considering our own hearts, it becomes evident many times that who we're worshiping and who we're listening to and who we're serving is clearly not the Lord, and many times it's us and what's going to work best for me. And brothers and sisters, this is the world we have chosen for ourselves, where everyone is a God and everyone is a king, and everyone does whatever is right in his or her own eyes, and everyone is entitled to rule, and everyone is entitled to be heard in our marriages, our work, our churches, 
But brothers and sisters, who is listening to the Lord as God and King? And what happens when we say we worship the Lord as King, but instead we're really worshiping ourselves? Are we surprised, brothers and sisters, when this is the trajectory and the food and the idea and the altars that we worship at and what we live out? Then we see evil rampant in our land and the men who are supposed to protect us looking the other way. It didn't start last week. But the good news of Deuteronomy and what Moses is bringing forth before them to consider before they go into the promised land is to remind them that in spite of the very real wickedness and evil of this world, the Lord is still God and King. And by His mercy and grace, He is their God and King. Not Pharaoh, not any man, not any police officer or pastor. And they are now His people, and this is what God's covenant is all about. And this is what Deuteronomy is all about. A covenant is the official promise and word of the king that defines the rules and the relationships and the responsibilities of his kingdom. It's like the Constitution in America, except the Constitution in America begins with what? We the people. We're the ones who are running this show. We the people. But in God's covenant, God comes in and says, it isn't we the people. I saved you out of Egypt. This is what the Exodus is all about. I intervened in a wicked world, and I came when your king was a wicked leader, Pharaoh, who exploited you, oppressed you, and took advantage of you. And you saw the fullness of the evil of this world, of the greatest civilization and greatest king likely at that time. And I interrupted and I came in and I intervened and I redeemed you. I paid the price for you. I took you out of that, not so that you can continue or be like the Egyptians, but so that you can belong to me, that you're bound to me, that you are my children and that I am your king and I am your God. That's what's stipulated in the covenant, and that's what a covenant relationship is about. When you all get married, you come up, we talk about the covenant of marriage. It's not a deal. It's not a contract. We're not doing a business deal. It is a proclamation and a promise that binds two hearts together as one before the Lord. It is a sacred statement that outlines the rules and the relationships and the responsibilities of this gathering together, this kingdom that begins in this family. And this is what the Lord God is explaining to his people, and he's reminding them because we forget in verse 15 of Deuteronomy 30 when he says, See, I have set before you today. I'm the one who's in charge. See, I have set before you today. And he's making reference to the covenant. Life and good, death and evil. And what the Lord God is doing is he's explaining to his people who he is. This is who your God and king is now. It's no longer you. It's no longer Pharaoh. It's the sovereign ruler over life and good, death and evil. It's the one who has delivered you out of the vice of death and evil. And that's what the Exodus was about with all the plagues. The Lord God is reminding who's in charge of this relationship. It's the one who is able to deliver them from death and evil. And that's why he calls them to hear what he has to say and obey his word. Because it's through his word that he is going to protect them and take care of them and deliver them from evil. And that brings us to our second point this morning. The Lord delivers and protects his people from evil with his word. The Lord delivers and protects his people from evil with his word. Now we say that, brothers and sisters, and we talk about it and we study God's word, but we have to say, do we really believe it? Well, if we do, we're going to listen to it and we're going to obey it, all of it. It is all important. If our lives depend upon it and the lives of our children depend upon it. 
And so we need to ask ourselves as we struggle to read our word on a daily basis, as we struggle to pray, as we struggle to listen to the Lord, as we talk about, oh, it's hard for me to obey, it's a real struggle, it was a rough week, and I get it, I'm with you. But do we really begin to see that our lives depend upon this and this is our only protection against the evil of this world? Earlier, we defined evil as anything that separates us from the life and love and infinite goodness of God. And from the beginning, God has always given his life and his love and his goodness to his people. How? Through his word. And what is it that addresses our sin? And what is it that shows us who God is? And what is it that keeps us close to him? And what is it that shows us how to walk with God and how to walk in his love? Brothers and sisters, it's God's word. So you can be sitting in the biggest church in the top committee and you can know the Bible like the back of your hand. Brothers and sisters, if we're not listening to it, and if we're not allowing it to address the sin in our own hearts, and if we're not walking in obedience and coming under it, if our burden is more about running ministries and programs and committees than considering what God is speaking into our lives, brothers and sisters, then we will live to protect those programs and ministries and committees. And we will not reflect the heart of the Lord. Because what the Lord points out in this passage as he comes to the end, verse 20, the end of 19, he says, Therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him. For he is your life and your length of days. And he draws for them and he makes this connection for them. What this is all about, God's word, God's word shows us how we are to walk with God and how we can be near to him. Where is the safest place for a child to be? Right next to a father or mother who loves that child. This is the pain that we saw this week. The parents are outside. They're coming to the police. The police are... are giving them a hard time while they're sitting there, and their children are far from them, and they are in the hands of people who they were concerned about something else. I'm not going to judge their hearts, but they were concerned about something else. These men in the Southern Baptist Committee, what were they worried about? Something else. Brothers and sisters, where is the safest place for a child to be? It's next to a parent that loves them. Why? Because that parent will give their life for that child. And so we see here in God's word, God is saying, listen to my word, listen to my word, listen to my word, because this is how you know my love, and this is what's going to show you how to stay close to me and hold fast to me. How can you hold fast to me and stay close to me if you're not listening to me? You've heard me say this before. I've told my boys many times, don't go anywhere where you can't see me, we can't see you. I want to be able to speak if something comes up where you can hear me. When we're in the big, busy streets, right? How do I take care of my kids? I hold on to their hand tightly and I speak to them. I tell them before we go, now I want you to listen to me. I want you to hang onto my hand. Or as we go out, I want you to look both ways because there's cars that are coming. And so as we come here and we look at the covenant, we look at the commands, the commands that God gives, they're all about protecting his children in his love. And so we see those Ten Commandments. It's all about in his kingdom, if you're part of my kingdom, your life is going to be ruled by my love. And if your life is going to be ruled by my love rather than the lust and pride and evil of this world, that is going to destroy you and separate you from me, if your life is going to be ruled by my love, then your life is going to be ruled by my word. And so we see that's what the Ten Commandments is about, which forms the core of the covenant. Terence read about part of that this morning at the very tail end, the foundation of the covenant, where the first four commandments is God's instruction about how we're to love God as he has loved us. And commandments 6 through 10, those final commandments, are the commandments about how we're to love one another in the way God has loved us. 
And they also serve as warnings to show us how to stay away from anything that is going to damage our relationship with the Lord or separate us from the Lord and anything that's going to damage or destroy our relationship with one another. Like lying and slander and bearing false witness. Thou shalt not like committing adultery. Like stealing. Like murder. Okay? Is anything that destroys a relationship? Well, there you have all of those things. And Jesus is going to make reference to these in the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to come back and show the fulfillment and how it begins in the heart. And so God here, in his covenant, is pointing out that there is a deliverance and there is a protection that comes in his kingdom it comes through his word. And this is why his gift to his people is his word through his covenant. And that's why in verse 16 he says, If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by what? By what? Let me hear you say it. By what? Loving the Lord your God. By walking in his ways. And by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Now, brothers and sisters, this is not an exhortation to earn your blessing through obedience. If I obey, then I get the big house and I get all of those good things. Blessing and the blessing of God's word, and we have it defined hopefully up on the PowerPoint, the blessing of God's word is God's affirmation and his exaltation of what is good and right. His affirmation and his exaltation of what is good and right. What God blesses is what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord. And what's good and right in the eyes of the Lord? Loving and walking with God by faith according to his word. What Jesus says in John 15, abiding in him, abiding in his word. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And brothers and sisters, it's abiding in Christ. It's being close to God that preserves and protects a life. And then in verse 17, he says, but if your heart turns away and you will not hear, hear what? God's word. But are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. That's evil. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. And this, brothers and sisters, is a promise for the old covenant people that is the justice of the Lord. And here too, the Lord God is protecting and delivering from evil with his word. His promise to curse, to curse, is to justly condemn and punish and remove evil according to his word. It's God's promise that he will actively condemn. He will actively punish. He will actively remove evil in his kingdom among people who call or who are called by his name. Okay, this is the old covenant. You people, you come, you've taken the covenant, you say you belong to me. You say you're the people of God. If there is evil in our midst, I will condemn it actively. I will actively punish it. And I will actively remove it from the kingdom of my word. This is the Lord's holy justice. It's not just natural consequence. God's saying, I'm coming for you. Now, brothers and sisters, this sounds harsh and unloving, doesn't it? God's behind all these curses. But let me ask you, when we consider the Southern Baptist Convention and we consider the shooting that happened this week. What was unloving? Or let me ask you this. Was it loving for how long it took the religious leaders and the law enforcement to condemn and to punish and remove the evil in our churches and in our schools? It sounds harsh until people suffer from evil. And then we're saying, why did it take so long? 
But brothers and sisters, if we always give everything a pass and we never turn to the Lord and we never consider what he says is evil and we don't begin to address it his way, which that's what the Old Testament sacrificial system was. It was an act of grace from God. God says, I will provide you with the sacrifices. When you sin, I will give you a way to make it right. I will provide a way of atonement. But if you don't listen to me and insist that you're right and you want to be called by my name and you want to continue to do what you're going to do, there's going to be a curse. I am a God. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. What a man sows, he will reap. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, watching over good and evil, that the Lord sees and he knows what you do in secret. And sooner or later, he's going to expose in his good time according to his word, and he is actively going to destroy and punish because he is going to remove evil to protect his people because he is holy and he loves his children with a holy love. And that's the whole idea in the Old Covenant about excommunication and removing people who are high-handed sinners from the covenant community. And in the New Testament church discipline, it is a removal out of love for God to create those lines to show that there's a need for holiness, there's a need for God, and we're not going to blur the lines. We're going to protect the family of God. So then the question is, well, why does it take so long? And it's because of God's mercy and grace and waiting for us to repent. And brothers and sisters, it's worth reading the previous chapters in Deuteronomy and going through and seeing exactly what God blesses and he curses. And he spells it out in Deuteronomy in detail. And essentially what he's pointing out as he goes through the blesses and the curses is he's pointing out in blessing the things that the people do in obedience that show the love of God. And the curses are the ways in which they walk away from the love of God and destroy their relationship with God and destroy their relationship with one another. Have a look, if you would, at Deuteronomy 27, 18. Humor me for a moment. Let's see what the Lord curses. Deuteronomy 27, 18. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. Verse 19, Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Okay, the Lord here is condemning, taking advantage of people who cannot protect themselves. He is condemning a refusal to protect with truth and justice those who cannot protect themselves or those who are the least among us. The fatherless, the widows, the sojourners, the illegal immigrants. And why does God make such a big deal about it? Well, he tells them before, remember, you were slaves in Egypt and I loved you and I showed grace to you and you were taken advantage of? And I was your protector. Well, you're to protect others in the same way. We're to show the heart of love. This is God's compassion and his love and his mercy and his grace. This is the heart of God. And when we walk against it or we take advantage of it, God is offended. And the reason he's coming against the people and coming strongly and says, I'm going to curse you and I'm going to condemn you, this is about taking the name of the Lord in vain. Taking the name of the Lord in vain is not referring primarily to using God's name as a swear word, though that more is blasphemy. It's about professing to be a child of God and then doing things that are contrary to his character. Taking his name, I'm a Christian, in vain. Making it nothing. That guy's a Christian? This is what he does. This is an evangelical church. This is what they do. And so God says, I'm not going to tolerate it. I'm going to curse it, and I'm going to come after it. Now have a look in Deuteronomy 28, 28, and we will see the nature of the curses that the Lord promises in the Old Covenant to bring to people who take his name in vain, who take advantage or do not protect the least among us. Deuteronomy 28, 28. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind. 
It's talking about spiritual blindness and what we refer to today as mental illness. And you shall grope at noonday as the blind grope in darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways. And you shall be only oppressed and robbed continually, and there shall be no one to help you. You shall betroth a wife, verse 30, but another man will ravish her. Drop down to 32. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people, while your eyes look on and fail with longing for them all day long. But you shall be helpless. In the Old Covenant, God's curse against taking the name of God but disobeying his commandments, not listening, being selfish, looking out for number one. Spiritual blindness, mental illness, but being taken advantage of and being subject to darkness and being unable to protect yourself or your children, even to the point of seeing your children taken from you. Does that sound familiar? You shall be helpless. And of course, this is what happened to Daniel. And this is what happens in the exile. As Daniel and his friends are taken away. And they're taken to Babylon. And they're separated from their families before they were princes. It's the curse of the Lord against the sin of his people for taking his name in vain. Now have a look at verse 46, I believe. They shall be, he's talking about the curses. They shall be a sign and a wonder against you and your offspring forever. He's talking about these curses. What's a sign? A sign points to something. So these curses come and the Lord's saying, look, I want you to know this is a supernatural work. I'm intervening. I'm the one who's doing this. And I'm doing it because I do not approve of your heart, of the evil in your heart, the evil in your ways, what you do before the Lord, but what you do to one another, my justice will come. I do it as a sign and wonder. Verse 47, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, because of the abundance of all things. Now, I want to make a point. I've made a few, right? The United States of America is not Israel. God is speaking to his old covenant people. The United States of America is not a Christian nation, never has been. And the United States of America is not the new covenant people of God. So we want to put this in context. This is God speaking to his old covenant people who he delivered through the Exodus and made his old covenant people. But it is the same God who works in the same way. He is unchanging. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And what this does show are the things that offend him, the things that break his heart, the things that grieve him, and the ways in which he deals, especially with those who call themselves by his name but behave just like the world. These are principles. What is God doing with all of this? We'll come back to Deuteronomy 30 and go to verse 1. And we'll tie up. Thank you for bearing with me this morning. Deuteronomy 30, verse 1, it says, And when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse, the promise of his word, the blessing and the curse, this is coming, which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you. And you return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul. 
And the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. The purpose of this, God's protection through his curses and his blessing and his word, is when these things come to happen, that the people will realize we're not right with the Lord. The problem is us, our hearts. He was right. His word is true. We were the ones who were wrong. We need to turn back to him because the Lord is our only hope and his kingdom is our only deliverance, not just from the evil in the world, but the evil in our hearts. The Lord's laid this out for them, what's going to happen, blessing and curse, and it's severe and it's a sign to bring his people in the centuries to come back to him, to repentance, to deliver them from evil in the only way. How? By coming to the Lord to make it right. Brothers and sisters, we cannot make these things right. You can't do it. I can't do it. We're not good enough. But there is one who can make it right. The one we've been ignoring all along. And this brings us to our final and closing point this morning. Jesus is the Lord and King who bears our curse. Jesus is the Lord and King who bears our curse. God in Deuteronomy is laying a foundation. He's laying a foundation so when his son comes, the Lord and King, people recognize what's going on. And so this is why when Jesus shows up, where does he show up? He shows up in Galilee. And Galilee is the place where for centuries they have been living out the curse that God had promised. First with the invasion of the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, then the Greeks, then the Romans. They've gone through centuries of this. They have seen their children removed. They've seen their women raped. They've seen their family members viciously killed. And they could do nothing about it. And now they live in an area where the plagues that God has talked about in the Old Testament beset them, even to the point where there is demon possession. And so when Matthew talks about Jesus' healing, he talks about people who are broken in their minds and their spirits and their bodies. He's making reference to the curse. And so that's why when Jesus comes in mercy and grace, what does he do? He comes teaching God's word. He comes preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, calling them to turn from their sin. And he heals every illness and affliction. And he's showing them God in his mercy and grace has sent the remedy for the curse. And that remedy is none other than God himself, Emmanuel, God with us. And then Jesus continues to invite them to come. What's the remedy? To enter into his kingdom as disciples. Because it is only in the kingdom of heaven where God's word rules that his people are loved perfectly and cared for and delivered from the evil of this world. And that's where the Sermon on the Mount takes us. But it doesn't stop there, does it, brothers and sisters? Because Jesus goes to the cross and he demonstrates that unlike those who stand around and do nothing, he is willing to give his life for the least among us and the worst and most offensive. Some would die for a good man, but who would die for sinners? Well, Jesus lays down his life in order to destroy sin and death and evil. And he rises on the third day. And he displays to us a father who is in heaven, who knows what it is like to lose a child at the hands of evil and self-righteous and hateful men whose desire is only for a kingdom of their own. So, brothers and sisters, where does that leave us? The good news of the gospel, brothers and sisters, in light of what we've seen this week, is that there is hope, and there is comfort, and there is wisdom, and there is deliverance. But it takes place in one person alone. It is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And I'm not here saying this is the curse of God that's come in America. But I will say that the Lord is getting our attention. And he's showing us what we prioritize and what we think is most important and who we listen to and where we go to for our solutions. And he's showing us the heart of the nation and those who work in this nation who protect us. It's not serving the Lord, and rarely is it serving you or I. God's getting our attention. And I believe he's calling us in our own hearts to consider the evil that dwells there and to turn to him as our only hope. In the past, the Puritans had a tradition. And when there was a plague or a violent outbreak or a war, they would set aside a week or a day or a time for prayer and fasting and grieving and mourning. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing like fasting and praying to let you feel and know that you are absolutely helpless and there is nothing you can do. And that is in part the reason or the purpose of that practice is that moment where brokenhearted we come before the Lord and say, we can't fix this. The problem is too big. You, O oh Lord, are the only solution and remedy. And as we think of the victims of these families, both within the Southern Baptist community and in South Texas, we cannot comfort them, brothers and sisters. We cannot bring their children back. We cannot right the wrongs. We cannot fix those things. But brothers and sisters, we do know someone who can. And so the place for comfort begins in fasting and prayer and grieving and mourning and listening to what God has to say and praying for those people and praying for the victims and the perpetrators and to pray for the churches that minister to them. Looking and waiting for God in his time and in his way to bring the only thing that comforts brothers and sisters, the good news of the gospel and the presence of a great high priest who gives mercy and grace in our time of need. Why? Because he has borne our sorrows. He has borne our iniquities. He has borne our griefs and condemnation. He is a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, and he is able to care for those who have suffered in that way. Lord Jesus, we long for your kingdom. We need it badly. Give us hearts, O Lord, that turn to you, that listen and hear, but also hope in the gift of your Son and the gift of your word and the gift of fellowship with a God who cares. In your name we pray, amen.